Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter uh, number 11 and verse number 2. The book of Matthew, chapter 11 and verse number 2. I'm thankful for the sustaining power of the Word of God. Yes. Amen. It'll just keep you. It just never goes out of style, never goes out of date. I've mentioned this many times through the years, but in our home, my mom and dad, some of you probably familiar with this, had a little ceramic, small little loaf of bread, and uh, inside of that was little cards, it was the bread of life scripture for the day and and uh, I'm thankful that you could just walk by and pull out those promises and it really doesn't matter where they come from. Genesis to Revelation. I'm thankful for the bread of life, the truth of God's word. Matthew 11 and verse number two, the Bible says, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Amen. I want to just talk this morning for just a few moments on the gift of truth. I'm just so thankful to know the truth of God's word. Amen. And I do indeed believe it is a tremendous gift to know the word of the Lord. You can be seated and thank you for your, your attention and your worship today. You see, life is filled with many things, many things that we face day to day. I don't think that we could... Uh, I'm always hesitant, as I say, to use real broad terms and uh, paint with too broad of a brush. Paint with too broad of a brush, you're going to get paint where you don't want it. <laughs> Amen. But if I could summarize perhaps a couple of things that we face in life, they're huge categories and many things fall under them. But among the things that we face in life would be faith and fear. I spent... A, few, a little while this past Wednesday night talking about faith. But in, in truth, faith and fear both reach for the same goal. It's the same end game. And that is the heart of mankind, both faith and fear. Faith reaches for our heart at many times in junctures of our life, while at the same time, fear reaches for our heart. However, faith and fear, we have to understand they play for different teams. Amen. They're, they're not together in this. They're pulling against one another. They are enemies. And I've noticed that faith and fear in my own life, and pardon my, my being candid here this morning, but I've noticed that faith and fear can switch places in a split second. 
I've gone from faith to fear. I hope you don't get up and walk out on me. But I've also gone from fear to faith. That overwhelming sense of how are we going to do this can be replaced with a confidence that God is still in charge. Most likely there isn't anyone else in the scripture that understood this any more than John the Baptist. John, uh, like so many others in scripture, the Bible talks about they are given to us as in samples or examples, an imprint, something that we can not only look to, but something that we can emulate. Not just something we can parrot, but something we can be molded after. And so he gives us this example. I believe that we can trace um, their lives and we can find the, uh, the, their lives. I've talked in the last few services about Hebrews 11 and the heroes of faith that are found there. We can trace their lives and we can find them both on the mountaintops and we can also find them in the valleys low. We see them winning some battles and we see them losing others. And that's a very raw look into the heart, into the lives of humanity. Sometimes we are winning and sometimes we are not. Amen, in that particular season. Sometimes we're leaping over walls and sometimes we're just trying to make the next step. I'm thankful for a hearty amen, sort of a hearty amen. But uh, sometimes we're, we're jumping high, other times we're not jumping so high. Just before the events of our text in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, our text was John, John the Baptist in prison, John the Baptist facing imminent death, John the Baptist facing imminent judgment. And so John in this moment of disillusionment got two of his disciples together and said, I need you to run an errand. I need you to go ask Jesus, are you he that should come? or do we look for another? I will tell you that in that moment, faith had been replaced by fear. Faith that had once been in his heart and life had stepped in and overshadowed. Uh, fear had stepped in and overshadowed faith, but it was just for a moment. Just before these events of Matthew 11, we wanna go back and look at John. And when we go back just a little bit and look at John, we, we find him standing on the very bank of Jordan River He's raised his hands, as I, as I suppose in my mind. I suspect whenever he said, uh, uh, whenever he made one of the boldest declarations made to date, John said, behold. And the word behold means turn aside and see. And so in my mind, when I read that passage of scripture, where John said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, I believe and in my mind envisioned John uh, animating that to say, behold, to turn aside and see pointing at one that which was to come. John understood who Jesus was and he understood both his mission and the mission of Jesus at the same time. He understood it so well that John grasped the necessity of increasing and decreasing. He taught and John said this about himself and his own life and his own ministry. He said, I must decrease because he must increase. So there's no one here that has a more clear picture of his role versus the role of Jesus. Amen. John the Baptist was so comfortable in his calling, in his own personal calling, 
that he boldly said this to his followers. He said to his church, if we would put that in modern day terms, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Now I'm gonna tell you that John had to move some pride out of the way and some ego out of the way to say, I can only take you so far, but there is one coming. Amen. I got a decrease. I'm gonna have to kind of blend into the shadows. I'm gonna have to get lost in the mix. You're gonna have to kind of put my name and address a little bit lower down in your contact list because there's someone coming. I've got to decrease so that he can increase. And so when Jesus stepped into the Jordan River to be baptized, John said, you know, you don't have need to be baptized of me. I have need to be baptized of you. John was trying to say, we've got this thing turned around, but Jesus understood that he was on a mission. He said, I'm not, I'm not the one that needs to be baptized, uh, be baptizing you. I need you to baptize me. But clearly, these men understood the mission. John was never more confident of anything in his life than he was of this one statement. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He got it. He understood it. Amen. But he understood it. A, a, a madman, almost a wild man, as the scripture describes him, coming out, crying out, a voice in the wilderness, repent ye. Amen. John the Baptist had never heard of Dale Carnegie. John the Baptist, he didn't know how to win friends and influence people. John the Baptist wasn't keeping any fruit on the middle shelf. But John the Baptist was just saying, turn or burn. There's just one way. There's just one thing that we can do here. Amen. He understood that there was a Messiah. Then in what may have been just a few short months later, John himself was thrown in prison for the message he was preaching. The climate of his world radically changed. The same hand that a, that a little while ago was turning and pointing and saying, behold, the Lamb of God, that same hand was now in shackles. That same hand was now bound. That same hand was now, was now in prison. The voice that so boldly declared, amen, that I've got to decrease and he's got to increase. The same voice that said, this is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That voice has now grown eerily silent. Amen, and I would say rightly so because if we were there, we would probably experience the same thing. For John, things had radically changed. Here is now John the Baptist sitting on death row, filled with more questions than he had answers. Amen, so he sent two messengers and he said, I just need you to go to Jesus and I need you to find out some things. I just need something underlined in my heart. I need something confirmed. Amen, he had a very simple question, but in truth, it was a profound question. Are you he that should come or should we look for another? I'm gonna tell you that I find faith in these words because John the Baptist on death row still believed that there would be a Messiah. He still believed that there would be a deliverer. And so he said, now, if you're not him, amen, then, then we just need to refocus things and look for another because there is coming a Messiah. There is coming a deliverer. He wasn't, he wasn't being perhaps as cynical as we may assume. But I believe that there are times in all of our lives 
that we are confident that God is alive and God is well. Amen, we feel his hand evident in almost every aspect of our lives. And then there are times we stand with our faith under attack. We have walked miles and miles when we wondered where God was. I wanna tell you today, if you're ever going through a place where you wonder where the Lord is in your life, you're not alone because you can find not only people in this life that wonder the same things at times, but we could just go back to the book of Job and Job said, I sought for him and I couldn't find him. I looked for him in front of me and behind me. I looked for him on my right hand and on my left hand, amen. But he understood one thing, even when I can't find him, he is there. We have modernized that just a little bit and sing about it and we say this, that even when I can't see him, he's working. When I can't find him, he's working. When I can't feel him, I know he's working. God is always working and it is that faith, it is that faith that we wake up with in the morning and it is that faith that we close our eyes at night that even when I can't see it, we know that God is is working. What a natural reaction to a hardship. Even if John the Baptist is full of faith as he was, did not escape that season, that moment of doubt in Christ Jesus in that, in that one snapshot. John was supposed to lead the way and herald the, the coming of the Lord. Town to town, John has been referred to as that forerunner, that crier, if you please, that went ahead. There is one coming, there is one coming. It was an antiquated way of advertisement, but John was the forerunner. He was supposed to introduce Jesus at every service, so to speak. John was born to preach and prepare the way of the Lord. But now, but now John, the tables turned. Life took a right instead of a left, or a left instead of a right. This is not how things were supposed to be and not where he thought he would be at this juncture of his life. However, I find it reassuring, reassuring that even in this moment of question that God didn't condemn him. The Lord did not send those men back with a message of condemnation. The Lord didn't send them back with a wagging finger and said, shame on you for your lack of faith. No, 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 no. Amen. When he, when he was confronted with a question, John couldn't understand why he was where he was standing or where he was sitting. I think it's important important that we see this underlying truth. Amen, the fact that we all have to reconcile in our heart and in our lives at some point, and that is there are gonna be things, and that was the actually some of our subject here today, there are gonna be things that we just can't understand. Amen. Brother Larry Newber mentioned it a moment ago in our services. We've been praying for the Valdez family, and it just doesn't make any sense. Here is a man that, uh, that, that it seems like a Stephen. I mentioned, I think, that to Brother Larry the other night, a Stephen in, in that zenith moment of his life when everything should be pointed in one direction and now it's turned to another direction. And, 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 the, and the other church family that we are prayed for this morning, asking the Lord to touch their hearts. Amen, Brother, uh, brother, uh, brother David Contillo and how their, their church family today, even the loss of, of two ministers in their church 
Amen, our own loss here today. Amen, not to pry in a wound, but we're aware of where we are. Amen, we're ev- it is evident where we are. But I say, Lord, I'm so thankful for the gift of your word and the gift of your truth that holds us and that keeps us. Amen, it is the security blanket that we must have. It's impossible at times to understand these situations, but I am so thankful that when these seasons come, amen, I wanna have... I want to have the assurance that I've got somewhere I can turn in somebody's life. There's some footprints. Amen. I haven't ever been there. I've never been to Hollywood and seen this in, in person, but I am aware of this, that there's places in Hollywood where people, for whatever reason, that have, have made it big and their name is in lights, they have a place they can go and put their hands in the concrete and put their footprint in the concrete, and it becomes an attraction, and people will go and to be able to say, well, I stood where John Wayne stood. Amen, I know two here that would probably like to go and stand where John Wayne stood, <laughs> amen. And uh, especially if Louis L'Amour has got his boot prints there, they probably wouldn't mind being there either. Amen, and to be able to say, I put my hand where Elvis's hand was, or I stood where this person stood, or I stood where that person stood, and I get it, and I'm not being cynical about that. I get the purpose behind all of that, but I'm gonna tell you today that we also have the to be able to stand because there's some footprints of heroes and stars that would pale in comparison to any name that we could dare mention today. And so we're walking and when these seasons come, I need to understand that the Lord said, I've given all these to you as in samples. I've given these not just as a picture to hang on the wall, but I've given you something that you can mold your life around. How am I gonna keep walking? Amen, well, we're just gonna follow John's lead. Amen, how are we gonna keep, how are we gonna keep pressing forward? Well, we're just gonna look into the word of God and say, God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen, you have given us the greatest gift of all time, and that is the gift of the truth of your word. The gift, oh God, of the truth of who you are. He's not a crucifix. He's not on a crucifix. It's not a picture. It is not a statue. It is not just a burning candle. It is far more than just hope of going into a temple and trusting that somebody else can call on the name of the Lord for us. Hallelujah. We can take our questions to the Lord. We can take our peril to the Lord. Amen. When Jesus heard those questions, his answer was very revealing. He didn't condemn. He didn't mock. Amen. But he just said to these, these messengers, he said, I want you to go show John. Go show John again those things which you both do hear and see. He said, I don't want you to go back and just talk about things you heard. But I want you to go back and talk about the things that you have experienced yourself, your eyes, your ears. Amen, he said the blind have received their sight and the lame are walking and the lepers have been cleansed and the deaf have had their hearing restored and the dead are raised to life again. But he didn't stop there. But he said, I need you to add one more thing to the list. You tell John, all these miraculous things are happening 
happening about the blind, the deaf, the leper, and on and on. But he said also that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Amen. I will tell you today, and I'm not trying to sound crass at all, but you, but you can hit, you can go to heaven blind, and you can go to heaven lame, and you can go to heaven with leprosy, and you can go to heaven with deaf, with deafness. Amen. You can go to heaven with all those things, but you can't go to heaven without hearing and obeying the gospel. And so the greatest gift was not the fact that the blind saw or the deaf were healed or the lame got up. But you go tell John that this gospel is gonna be preached to the poor. Amen. While we rejoice over the miracles of people being healed, I believe the greatest miracle of all is that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says the poor will be with you always. Not everybody's gonna be blind. Not everybody's gonna be deaf. Not everybody's gonna need a, a to be raised from the dead are lifted from the bed of lameness. But I'm gonna tell you that we can be not only naturally poor, but poor in spirit. The poor is gonna be with you always. The wanting, the needing, the incomplete, they're always gonna be here. But go tell John, go tell John, hallelujah, the lame are running, hallelujah, the blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing. But greater than that, John, greater than that, John, is that all men, all women, everywhere have going to have the gospel preached unto them and so I will tell you this morning hallelujah that the gospel can reach the cathedral and the gospel can reach the jungle the gospel can go to the highest heights and the gospel can go to the lowest lows the judge the judge and the attorney can hear the gospel but the harlot amen and the drug dealer can hear it well go tell John the greatest gift of all time the gift of truth is still being poured out. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not that which was blind, that which was halted, that which was diseased. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so the greatest Gift is the gift of the gospel. That's the greatest thing that we could ever receive. Amen. Just in case John blind seeing and lame walking isn't enough, just know that the gospel is being preached everywhere. Amen. Why? Why was Jesus so specific about including the poor? We're not talking about, in some cases here, people that were living from paycheck to paycheck. These people were, some of them were living from alms to alms. Handout to handout. I mean, if, if somebody else didn't give it to them, it wasn't coming their way. But he said the gospel's being preached to them. You could understand this if, you could, if we could comprehend that one of the questions that would be upon somebody's mind if they heard about this man, Jesus, one of the first questions you would ask is, what's this gonna cost me? Especially if you already know you have nothing. And so if somebody's offering these gifts, we wanna know, well, where's the catch? And what's this gonna finally tally out to be? Amen, if somebody is worth seeing then generally there's gonna be a premium price. It's staggering sometimes 
to think about. I was reading an article the other day. It was actually about a Super Bowl that was several years old. And, and I was just stunned by the price of some of the tickets, per seat tickets that were being sold. And somebody was writing that check or swiping that car without batting an eye because it was worth it to them. Amen, it was worth it to them. Paid a premium price, but it's not how it is with the gospel because part of what makes the gospel is the, gospel is the fact that it's for everyone the rich and the poor, socially acceptable, the social outcast, whatever the case may be. He said, go tell John that Jesus is preaching the good news to the poor. Luke 4 and 18 fully lays out the master plan for the Lord coming from heaven to earth. Luke 4 and 18 says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. There's the summary of it all. Jesus came to give a chance to those that really didn't have a chance. So whether you were raised in an atmosphere to have a great appreciation for the church, maybe you were raised in an atmosphere where there was no opinion about church one way or the other, or perhaps you were raised in an atmosphere to have great disdain for the church, Jesus came so that you could hear the gospel. He came to give the downcast a reason to look up, to give an addict or an alcoholic a way out. He came to, to those who had nothing and to, to those who were nothing to give them something and make them something. That's the life-changing power of the gospel. When Jesus left his disciples with a command, this was the command. He said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Just go preach the gospel. He was not asking them to go door to door like a vacuum cleaner salesman in the hopes that somebody would answer the door. He just said, I just want you to go wherever you go and announce with your life about the gospel. Do you know I believe that that command, the commission has not changed at all through time. And I don't believe that command or that commission is just to ministers or those who consider themselves to be a part of a particular ministry. I believe that God has called us all to the ministry. And so when Jesus said preach the gospel to every creature, he wasn't asking us to understand every little nuance of theological implications of scripture. He just said, go preach the gospel. If your life has been changed, go talk about that change. Amen, if you were once in darkness and now you're in light, just go share what God has done for you. Amen, you, you may not be able to quote all of the Bible. You may not be able to link everything together, but I'm gonna tell you that as you begin to move and by by faith you begin to exercise what God has put in you, amen, I will tell you that there's nothing more powerful than your own personal testimony of what the Lord was done for you, amen. I don't believe that we can allow one Sunday or one Wednesday to be just another Sunday or just another Wednesday because we never know what needs may be presented in that service. And so I'm not, our musicians are not gonna come with a half-baked song. And if God will help the ministry of this church, we're not gonna come with a half-baked message just because it's this night or just because it's that night or just because it's this day or that day. We're not gonna get up and judge the audience and then determine what we ought to preach. Amen, we're gonna hear from the Lord because he knows who's gonna be here. Amen, we need a touch from the Lord. We don't know who needs a touch from the Lord. 
I know sometimes there's obvious needs, but you don't always know what the need may be. But I'll promise you some will be bound and God can give them the gift of deliverance. Others may be lost and they need salvation and they can find that. Others may be wayward or just need direction and the spirit of God can come and step on the scene and give us exactly what we need to do. Amen. We don't know what God will do or when he'll do it. But I know this, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen. And in him, there is no variableness. He doesn't change. Amen. The Bible says you won't even find the shadow of turning there. Amen. God is here and he's given away good gifts to those who need it. Amen. Just like those who walk the earth, he gave away, just like it was when he walked the earth, he gave away gifts. He touched those that were in need. And I believe he does that for you and I today. Amen. Blind Bartimaeus cried out that he might receive his sight. And Jesus said, Receive your sight. The woman at the well, the woman at the well was in search of true love, real love. And he, she found that. She found that at the well. The most unlikely place and at the most unlikely moment. And if you study the story, you know what I'm talking about. She got what she was looking for. To Jairus' daughter, he gave life. To the demonic man of Gadara, he gave deliverance. And to sinners far and wide, he gave salvation. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Jesus was so consumed with giving away that he told his disciples, when you're finished in one place, just come with me. We're going to another place. That's what you find in Mark 4. When they closed the Bible study of Mark 4, he said, now let's get into the ship. Let's go to the other side. The other side brought needs. The other side, as a matter of fact, the other side brought much greater needs than just the demonic man of Gadara. But he was the only one that received them. Consequently, he was the only one who was touched. But when he tried to board the boat with them, he wanted to join them. And who wouldn't? He wanted to go with those that had been a great deliverance to him. But Jesus said to him, no, no, no. I need you to stay because I need you to let your light so shine before men that they can see me in you. Don't come with me and take away the only light that the Bible records that was left. You stay and be the light. I need a voice. I need a voice. In about three years, I'll ask you to stand. In about three years from the time of our text, the tables would be turned. The tables would be turned and now it was Jesus and not John that was in trouble. Now it was Jesus and not John that the courts were talking about. Jesus stood in Pilate's judgment hall in John chapter 18 and it was here that Pilate began to interrogate him. He was tried, falsely accused, unjustly beaten and unjustly crucified. Yet Jesus understood all, all of this because he said, I'm here to bear witness. I'm here to testify of the truth. And when you are truth, truth speaks for itself. The devil, more than one occasion, you're aware of the narrative. If you are who you are, who you are 
If you are who you say you are, why don't you make these stones be bread? Jesus didn't have to do that to prove to the devil because he's truth. If you'll do this, I'll do that. Jesus didn't have to do any of that because truth just settled it all. It settled it all. Amen. Truth was on trial that day. But it's no different than it is today, really. Truth is still on trial. Few knew the truth. Few knew who, what it really was. And if I could be bold today and t- tell you this, maybe bold, but I will be accurate. Few people in that day knew the truth and few people cared. And that's where we are today. Amen, that's where we are today. The attitude of Pilate kind of reflected the attitude of the Roman Empire. Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? As though it were some insignificant thing. What is truth? And with that sarcastic question still hanging in the air, Pilate washed his hands and walked away. It's not that easy, Pilate. You, you can't come face to face with the Messiah. You can't come face to face and then just turn around and walk away and pretend there is no truth because truth is such a, a monumental gift. Amen. Pilate spoke for all the frustrated and perhaps he thought he spoke for all the confused and the bewildered men and women of that day because Pilate had riches but he didn't know the truth. Pilate had servants at his every whim, but he didn't have the truth. Pilate had land and houses, and he had everything at his fingertips, but he didn't have the truth. And none of those things can satisfy because it takes the truth of God's word. I know statements similar to what I'm about to say have been made, perhaps painted or posed in different ways, but I do believe that there is a heart-shaped void in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And there's nothing that will fill that. Nothing but the cross. Nothing but the cross. You can search for it in the pinnacles of success or the gutters of failure, and it will not be there. Amen. Not be there. It will not be there. So God left the safety of heaven, robed himself in flesh to help us with the timeless question, what is truth? He came for the bereaved and the addicted and and the disillusioned. He left the gift of an old rugged cross. Yes, he did. He left his word. And if we walk in that truth, the greatest gift, amen, is the gift that can't be purchased. It's the gift that's free. Amen. Repent. Be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't buy this. You can't buy this. Amen. One, one man in the New Testament said, I, I need to know how I can purchase this. Where, where can I run down? What store? What shelf? What aisle? You've missed the point, sir. This can't be bought. It's a gift. It's a gift. I wonder if we could just magnify the Lord and praise him today. If you need something from God, He's right here in this house. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.